welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. We get the privilege of hearing from Jill Webber. Uh, you all know her well. She is the director of Spiritual Formation, and she's awesome. Uh, and I love, uh, I love having her as part of the team. You know that thing when someone joins a team and you can't imagine the team ever happening without her? She just brings a huge amount of wisdom and real leadership and just watching what she's done in the last six months since she's been here, seven months, ten months. Wow, goodness. Ten months. Um, just seeing how she has made such an impact and how she has really impacting not just our church but the individuals in it is just an amazing thing to behold so Jill let me pray for you as you as you start Heavenly Father thank you for Jill we love her we are so thankful for her we thank you uh, thankful not just for what she carries but for who she is and we pray that you would speak to her we pray you would release an impartation as she speaks to us in Jesus name Amen Thanks, Bill. Thanks, everybody. How many of you were here last week and, and heard our first talk? Those of you who haven't, I just strongly, strongly encourage you to listen to the podcast at home. Last week was the first Sunday of our series on Nehemiah, uh, rebuilding the city. And Pete came out and he was, the Canadian phrase is full of spit and vinegar, but that's probably not a British phrase. He was on fire, and he, <laughs> he just kind of let it rip, and, and it's just his passion came pouring out. And I don't know about you, but at the end, I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm in. Let's, whatever this is, let's do it. You know, I was just so <laughs> inspired, and, and so you, you need to hear the talk. And he was covering off the first chapter in the, the book of Nehemiah. We're studying Nehemiah over the next uh, eight or nine weeks, where Nehemiah hears about the state of Jerusalem. He's in a place of prestige and a place of comfort and a place of power. And he hears about the community that's been left behind and is in ruins. And his heart is gripped. His heart is torn. God breaks his heart for the brokenness that he hears. And he goes, first of all, to the place of prayer. It's his first response, not his last resort. His first response is prayer. And we hear how he identifies with the sin of the people in Jerusalem, and he appeals to the God of heaven to come and to rebuild. And God takes him from that place, from prayer, into planning. And so what we're going to talk about today is the plan. How do we plan? Because maybe I actually spoke to a few people last week who were so inspired by the end of the talk. They're like, yes, yes. So what do we do? Right? Does anybody like that? I'm like, yes, I'm in. What do I do? What's the plan? <laughs> and so prayer is fantastic. Prayer is a foundation. Finding a heart in the Father and seeing what's on the Father's heart. But then stepping out from that place. Okay, how do we plan? What's the next right thing? What's the next step? And as we look into the book of Nehemiah in chapter 2 in the book of Nehemiah, we're going to learn some wonderful... Nehemiah was a brilliant planner, a, a brilliant strategist. And we're going to just look at his story and, and see what we can learn for ourselves and how to plan. But first of all, I just want to start with a, a little story from my 
own life. I, <laughs> um, 25 years ago, I gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. And for the first five years, I decided that I wanted to be at home with her, but I, I did need to work. And so I, I just worked as a nanny. I just took care of other people's kids and brought my daughter with me. And it just was a way to, you know, just pay the bills whilst I was with her. But then came time where she was ready to go to school. And I'm like, okay, Lord, my time is freeing up a bit. What's the plan? I need to provide. I, I need an income stream and really nannying you don't make a lot of cash. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I need something a little else, something more. So what do we do? And I didn't know what to do. I was trying to sort out what, what would mesh well with being a mom. And then one day, I received a plan. And, and I was in actually what I would call the most anointed room in my whole house, which is the bathroom. You know that, right? That's the more, yeah. That, I mean, as a young mom, that's the only place I could be alone, right? <laughs> So I'm, I'm, anyway, so I'm there, and um, and then just I, just out of nowhere, just out of nowhere, I had been kind of thinking, what's the plan? What's the next step for my career? What do I do for work? And then out of nowhere, it just kind of dropped in, and I actually ended up staying in the bathroom for 20 minutes because it was it was sort of this stream of revelation, sort of just uh, yeah, I, downloading. I don't know, <laughs> and it was a plan, a business plan. And it was actually the beginning of my career as a, as a clown, as a professional clown, and, and, uh, which I did before I did this. And, and, and literally, it, it <laughs> you didn't know that? Oh, yeah, yeah, crazy daisy. I'll show a picture sometime. I don't show pictures because then you have people who have clown phobias, right? And then they get traumatized by coming to church, so that's not a, not a good thing. Anyway, yeah, I was a clown, crazy daisy the clown. But, but it happened in the bathroom. I say crazy daisy was born in the bathroom because it was literally, you guys, it was like, this is the name of the clown. This is the costume. This is how you're going to build your business. Here are the gags. Here are the jokes. Here are the songs. Now go do it. It was insane. It was like this divine download. And, and I just got up, left the bathroom, and I just started to do it. I was like, all right, here we go. Let's, let's get this thing moving and proceeded to build actually what ended up being quite a successful. Just, just so you know, clowning, you guys, was like $150 Canadian dollars an hour. Wow. You want to make money? Be a clown. It was great. <laughs> Super good. So And lots of fun. <laughs> he gave me a plan. Does anybody want a plan? Anybody need a plan? Yes. Put up your hand. You need a plan? Right. I need a plan. I need a plan. Great. Well, you are in the right place at the right time because we're going to learn how to receive a plan. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 2. And uh, we'll read this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, anyway, him, the king, <laughs> when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried 
so that I can rebuild it. I think what's really interesting, there's a, a number of things that we can see in this passage. The first thing is timing. Nehemiah, this, this is three months, between three and four months after Nehemiah first received the news about Jerusalem. So there's a space between stimulus and response. He gets the news and then he waits. And in the waiting, he prays and he plans and he prepares. He's not impulsive. He's not reactive. He is proactive. He knew that this situation warranted not his first response, but his best response. And he took time. He knew that he needed to motivate the king. The king would not be excited about rebuilding walls, but he understood the Persian mind. And he knew that in order to motivate the king, he had to appeal to his sensibilities. He had to be culturally sensitive. And so what he said was, he talked about the ancestors. The, the city where my ancestors are lies in ruins. And in the Persian culture, the ancestors and respect and a reverence for the ancestors was vitally important. So Nehemiah knew he took time to figure out how to couch his message in such a way as to open doors and receive favor. It was part of his preparation. It was part of his plan. The other thing he did was he prepared to answer questions. The king wanted to know after this, so how long are you going to be away? What kind of time frames are we looking at? And he thought it through. He knew how long. He set a time for his return. He knew. He, he thought through all the logistics. He knew he was going through enemy, enemy territory and that he needed letters of safe passage. He knew he needed people to accompany him. He thought through, this is actually the resource that I need. If I'm going to rebuild the walls and rebuild the city, I need timber to rebuild the gates. i got to take that all with me. And he, so he'd spent three to four months in planning and in preparation and in prayer, listening to God for the strategy. So when that moment came where he stood before the king, he knew the answers. He thought it through. He knew how to deal with, with questions and, and maybe even concerns that the king might have had. He knew where to get his resources. So he thought it through. So that's just plain planning, you guys. That's just logical, common sense planning. You know that you can be spirit-filled and filled with common sense at the same time? Everybody say hallelujah. Look at the person beside them and say, you can be filled with the spirit and common sense at the same time. <laughs> There is room inside of you for both. <laughs> Let's move on in the story. When he arrived in Jerusalem, I love this. He goes on his journey to Jerusalem, and, and the first thing he does, next slide, he chills out. He rests. He relaxes. The passage says in Nehemiah 2, he took three days, put up his feet, and he rested. Again, this comes back to Leadership and planning coming out of not our first response, but our best response. Not being reactive, but being proactive. He had been on a journey, and journeys in that day were tiring. <laughs> if we show up in a situation and we are physically exhausted, we're not going to get to the best of plans. We're not going to get God's perspective. And in fact, the new opportunity is just going to seem onerous and burdensome. 
And so Nehemiah plans and starts out of the place of rest. I love this quote from Wayne Muller in his book, Sabbath. Our culture invariably supposes that action and accomplishment are better than rest. And that doing something, anything, is better than doing nothing. And because of our desire to succeed and to meet these ever-growing expectations, we do not rest. And because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. We bypass the nourishment that would give us succor. We miss the quietness that would give us wisdom. We miss the joy and love born of effortless delight. And poisoned by this hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we can never truly rest. And for want of rest, our lives are in danger. We need to rest. I actually put on Facebook yesterday, I was like, okay, in the next 10 days, I have to give eight talks and my book deadline is due. My book has to be completely squared away and sent to my publisher for June the 1st. Lord have mercy. And I thought, what am I going to do? I thought, I'm going to rest. Hallelujah. <laughs> yesterday, I went to a pub and I sat in the sun and I went to a thrift shop. You know, I just, I just took a rest. And I need it, you know, rest is a weapon. So, do you need a plan? Anybody need a plan? All right, take a rest. Take a rest. Start from the place of rest. And from the place of rest, the next thing he did was he assessed the situation. So he went out and he, 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 he checked it out. I had so many people go, I've got a plan. i got a plan for something. i got this great plan for the city. And I'm like, great, do you know the needs of your city? Do you know anybody else who's working in the city? Oh, so you want to do this in the city. Who else in the city is doing that? And they're like, I don't know. I just got a plan. <laughs> and I said, wait a second. Wait a second. You need to assess. You need to have a look. You need to see what's out there. You need to see the state of the union. And Nehemiah went out at night, and he looked at the walls. He did a roundabout. He did a tour to see the state of the city and the state of the walls. And I actually think there's, there's an interesting little side note to this and part of the story because it, it, it's about stopping and looking and listening before you talk about it. Because here's what he says, verse 12. I sat out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Later on, verse 16, he says, The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as, as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. He didn't tweet about it beforehand. He didn't put it on his Instagram feed. Here's the plan. He held it close to his heart. He, he exercised discretion and wisdom. And he was careful about who he told what and when. I think that's an important piece in Nehemiah's planning. So he rested. He assessed the situation. He exercised discretion. And then he recruited co-conspirators and collaborators. And, and this is actually often where people struggle when it comes to having a dream and having a plan. I can have a plan and I can have a dream and a sense that God's asking me to do something. But to actually get other people on board is a struggle. I can have a plan. But how can we have a plan? 
And here's how Nehemiah did. Actually, I'm going to say I, I probably would do it a slightly bit different, but that's okay. We're, we're not preaching Jill. We're preaching Nehemiah. Um, <laughs> but here's what he did in collaboration. Hmm. We got a, a, there we go. Here's what he did. He identified the problem. I'll, I'll read you the passage. So then I said to them, and this is Nehemiah talking to the people in Jerusalem. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told him about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And he went on to say, the God of heaven will give us success. And then they replied, let's start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Verse 17, here's what he does. He identifies the problem. You can see the trouble that we are in. And then number two, he identifies with the workers. He was a foreigner coming in. He could easily have said, here's the problem that you're in. But that's not what he does. He stepped into their story and he says, here's the problem that we are in. I now own this with you. I am in. Your story is my story. Your problem is my story, my problem. We're in it together. So he identifies the problem. He identifies with workers. He presents spiritual perspectives. He gives the God eye view of what's going on. Because oftentimes it's so easy for us to, to, to get stuck in the problem and for the problem to become so large in our own eyes. And I, I once heard a preacher preach this once. I totally loved it. He said this. You can magnify. Everybody, can you make your own binoculars? Everybody, this works with kids. You, you, there we go. We can magnify. Okay. <laughs> so you can magnify the problem. What happens when you magnify something? It gets bigger, doesn't it? You can magnify the problem, or you can magnify the Lord. Maybe with our binoculars, we would look up. <laughs> what happens when you magnify something? It gets bigger. And so what Nehemiah is doing is he's magnifying the Lord. These people are there. Their city is torn down. He's like, but God is doing something in our midst. And he gives them the God eye view, God's perspective he says, the God of heaven will give us success. He's full of faith. And then he establishes specific aims. Come, let's rebuild. Let's do something practical. You ready? Let's rebuild. And he got them going. What's the next right thing? Just call them to immediate action. And that's how he built his team. So Nehemiah had a dream. And then he built his team. And then he had a scheme. And it's like, sorry, you'll remember that. You won't remember anything else. You'll, make, you'll go home making little binoculars and thinking dream, team, scheme. <laughs> he had a dream. He built his team. And then they moved forward in this scheme. Let's rebuild together. I think, though, I think Nehemiah was really, I think he was really bold. I think he was, he had this confidence. He, you know, in verse 12, he says, you know, he talked about, we're going to do what God put in my heart to do. He had confidence that his plans were from God. It makes me think of David in 1 Chronicles 28, 19. David says this, all of this, David said, I have in writing, he's talking about building the temple, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he, he's speaking of God, he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. So what David's saying is, I got a plan. 
I got a plan from God, actually. I've written it all down, and we're going to build it. He's got this certainty. I love that certainty. Would anybody like that kind of certainty? Anybody? Uh, that would be amazing. But I struggle with it. I, I, I love ideas, and, and give me a little bit of rest and space, and all of a sudden, all these creative ideas will start percolating up in me. But here's the work. Here's the, how do we weed out what's a good idea and what's a God idea? That's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, you sit me down for 10 minutes, I can give you 47 good ideas. But what's the God idea? Because I'm not content, and I hope that you're not content to build something you-sized, me-sized. You know, we want to see something God-sized, don't we? Our city's not going to be rebuilt with something Jill-sized. But if God is doing something, if God is rebuilding Guilford and Farnham and Aldershot and this whole region, if he's bringing life to our communities, we need to be able to discern what's the good idea, what's the God idea, what is his plan, and how can we have that confidence that Nehemiah had? And How can we have the confidence that David had, what God has put in my heart to do? And, and there's sort of two levels for this. I think for me, when I started out trying to get a sense of what does it mean for me to plan with God, I think initially I took the posture of a servant. It's like, God, just tell me what to do. Okay, thanks, I'll do it. All right, now tell me the next thing to do. Okay, thanks, I'll go do it. And then I, okay, what's the next thing to do? And then go do it. I was sort of postured as a servant. But, but here's what happened as I grew up in the Lord. And as I grew in maturity and and realized not only am I a servant of the Lord, I'm a daughter. I am a son. I am in the household, which means I live in the culture of God's house. And I understand more and more and more the heart of the Father. And I'm growing in my understanding of the ways of God, which are higher than our ways. And I'm I'm growing as I'm studying the scripture and living into it. I'm, I'm understanding more and more the thoughts of God, which are higher than my thoughts then all of a sudden, I'm not so dependent on, okay, this thing? Okay, now that thing? Okay, now this thing? I actually, as a daughter in the house, I have a sense of the culture of the house and how to build according to the culture of the kingdom. And so he doesn't have to spoon feed me every little bit of direction because I've allowed my internal house to be transformed. I've I've developed the mind of Christ. I begin to think how God thinks. And so then I can build as God builds. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? This is what we're doing every Sunday, everybody. We are growing in our ability to hear God's voice and to understand his kingdom and his ways. So actually we could step out into the world with confidence, knowing that we're children in the house, knowing it, knowing what's his heart and what's his will and what's his way. We want to please him and every way and bear fruit in every good work. We're growing into that maturity so that we can see Jesus revealed in and through this place. That's exciting. I find it. I hope you find that exciting. And so part of growing in it is, is being able to assess and evaluate and, and look at our plans to see if our plans are God's plans. So here, here's just a few questions. You might want to take a snapshot with your phone if you want. I'm not going to preach into these. I'm just going to... You know, how does it fit in? Actually, let's do a little experiment for a second. 
we just got a building, didn't we? Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. All right. So now that we actually own some real estate in this city, as we look to what God wants to do and to build, because he's not building a building. You know that, right? He's building a people. He's building a community, right? It's just where we kind of sit and stand and, you know, the house isn't the home. You're the home. <laughs> You're the people. <laughs> anyway, so, so how does this fit with our overall direction and calling now that we own founders? What does God want to do? Does it, does, when we think about what we can do in and through and beyond that space, does it, does it give us a sense of life and freedom? Does, do our hearts leap up with a big fat yes? Right? And, uh, and this, what's, what's our deepest, most authentic desires? What do you long for, for Guilford? What do you long for? What is your deepest? And I'm not talking about, oh, I think this would be a good idea. I'm like, what is your deep longing and desire in terms of seeing the kingdom of God come forth in this city? Well, this, what does the scripture say? And how does the life of Christ point us towards a particular direction? I'm interested in this, in my role of, of director of spiritual formation. You know, that God is forming us as individuals in this congregation, but God is forming us as a community, and he's shaping us on this journey. We get these landmarks along the way. Oh, look, we've got a building. Now, how does God want to shape us as a community, to shape us, to conform us more into the image of Jesus through this opportunity? And what does love call for, ultimately? So if you're looking at a plan saying, I don't know if this is a good idea or a God idea, go through that criteria. Just look through all those checkpoints and see if it helps. Because I, I think my biggest fear for myself is arrogance, actually, and pride. I, I could sort of big up myself, think I'm all that. And, and when I'm thinking about plans and plans that are coming out of my heart, I just want to make sure that I'm holding those, that they're birthed out of humility and love and obedience and not out of my own grandiosity. And so I think the next thing, the next slide, I was, I was thinking about it, like saying, Lord, how do I know? How do I know if my ego now is starting to push the agenda? And how do we know as a congregation if we've slipped into grandiosity and pride and that our ego is pushing in, here's a few things that came to mind. Firstly, I asked the Lord, oh, Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, just help me. Save me from myself. You know? And, uh, and here's, some, here's some of my tells when I know that I've slipped into grandiosity and pride. Number one, co competition and comparison. Nobody's ever, there's no, like, you never compare yourself with others, right? Nobody's ever struggled with that? I remember going to the gym uh, at university. I would go from class right to the gym. And I was, I was pretty heavy, actually. I was, I was quite overweight at that time. And I would go into the gym, and I would get into the machines and start lifting weights. I loved lifting weights. And then I would look at all these cute, sweet, little 98-pound, beautiful women in spandex. And I would look to see what they were lifting. And then I'd lift heavier. <laughs> I was. I was competitive. I'm like, all right, well, you might look fantastic in spandex, but I'm stronger than you. <laughs> so anyway, so if we slip into competition and comparison, 
Maybe that's a tell that we slipped into pride. If we slipped into striving, as soon as my heart goes into the space of, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. Anybody ever been in that headspace? Got to figure it out? Right? That's when I know that I'm not receiving from God. I'm just, I'm like just treading water and trying to figure it out myself. Am I functioning? Are we functioning with interdependence and a collaborative, cooperative spirit? Are we just like independent? If I see independence in me, then I know that pride is at work in my own heart. And so as I assess the plans that, that I think God's given me, those are the things that I look for. And, and the last sneaky one, is there a sneaky part of, of the plan that's going to make me look good? Any, nobody's ever been tempted by that? I, I was just like, oh, Lord, have mercy. You know, and, and it's just so sneaky. It is self, self in all its guises, where we glorify ourselves, we lift ourselves up. Oh, Emmaus Church, aren't we a wonderful congregation? Right? Free us from the bondage of self. We need to remember that God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Lord, help us. Help us. I am... Um, in my early days of, of building the House of Prayer back in Canada, we can go to the next slide. I was I I actually left my clowning business went really really well. I was a, I was I'm just um, well I don't want to pat my anyway. The Lord helped build my <laughs> build my clown business. I did really well. I was winning awards and I had this I had like all these. I was almost as popular as Barney. You know, in my <laughs> do you have Barney here? No, Barney and I were pretty tight. We were we were pretty close. So. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the business was going really, really well, and, and, I, and I realized that I had this entrepreneurial kind of chutzpah, like I just knew how to do things just by accident, and I just stumbled my way forward into building quite a successful business. And then the Lord called me into building the house of prayer, and so I thought, okay, well, Jill, the entrepreneur, the successful businesswoman, I'm just going to have to take that hat off now because I'm called to the prayer ministry. That tool belt that I had of all my entrepreneurial gifts and skills, I got to take that off, lay it down. That's all secular, right? That's, that's not really God's stuff. So I just lay it aside, and then I'll put on the house of prayer hat and the new monastic hat and the ministry hat, and I'll try and lean in it that way. And, and, and a few years in, I just hit a wall, like the ministry was going good and I could, I could build that and, and the team was growing. But financially, you guys, we were just a mess. We just, we, you know, we would be like praying in tongues at the end of every month over our bank statement. It's like, Lord, help us. We couldn't, we couldn't find a way to make the ministry actually financially solvent. We couldn't figure out how to build a solid base underneath what we were doing. And then finally, finally, I came to my senses, and one day I just had a little conversation with the Lord, and he said, hey, Jill, remember that entrepreneurial hat that you took off? And do you remember that entrepreneurial tool belt that you took off, thinking that that was part of your old life and not part of your new life? I want you to put it back on again, and I want you to lay hold of these things that you had dismissed as unspiritual and secular. I want you to buckle that baby on and start using those tools, and I want you to build my house. 
and it changed everything. I realized there's no sacred, there's no secular. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Every gift that he has given you, natural and spiritual and experience, is given to you by God. Every gift, every experience. And so when you think, well, I can't do, that's my banking experience. That can't help build the kingdom. That's not true. Well, this is my retail experience. That can't help build the kingdom. That's a lie. He's given you gifts. He's given you skills. And we're like Moses standing before the burning bush. And the Lord is saying to us, he said to me and he's saying to each one of you, what do you have in your hand? And what Moses had was a staff, a shepherd's staff. It was just the tool of his trade. It was his day job. That's what he had in his hand. That's what he had. And the Lord took that natural gift, the regular tool of his trade, his day job stuff, and he delivered a nation. He infused his natural gift with supernatural power so that the glory of God would be revealed and a people would come forth into wholeness and into fruition. So end of the story for, for me, actually, I started to utilize my businesswoman skills and and God gave me a plan, and we built a solid financial base for our little house of prayer. We developed a center for spiritual formation, and we developed internships, and we got people trained up as spiritual directors. And, and, and you know, it's going. It's chugging along. I've left, and, and, and it's just chugging along just fine without me. God gave us a plan, and he just used my natural gift, my natural inclination as an entrepreneur to do it. So... So here's, here's what I want to do. God has a plan for your family. Doesn't he? Just for those of you whose families are a bit chaotic, I want to tell you something my friend said to me many, many years ago. There's no panic in heaven. There's no panic in heaven. There's only plans. There's only plans. God has a plan for your family. God has a plan for your unsaved husband. God has a plan for your child who's being bullied in school. God has a plan for your business that's just having a hard time getting from the red to the black. God has a plan to see a lighthouse established here in Guilford. God has a plan to see human trafficking exposed and, and women delivered across this entire region. God has a plan. God has a plan for prayer spaces in every school, for, for Christian mentors in every school in Guilford. God's got a plan to draw people to himself. Here's the invitation today. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? The tools of the trade, the... The stuff that you think, God's not going to use this. This is just me. What do you have in your hand? We're going to just take a minute of, of quiet. And, and um, I would encourage you, just this, I mean, you don't have to do this. I just, if you want to do it, why don't, you, why don't you put your hands out and, uh, and say, hey, God, what, what have I got in my hand? What have I got in my hand? We're just going to take a minute or even maybe two minutes, just to silence. I want you to listen. What do I have in my hand?
And what's the plan? For some of you, you might something might come to mind, thoughts or pictures. Some of you might just sit in quiet and have nothing, and maybe this is just your time to rest. God, I'm asking for us as individuals and as families. I'm asking for us as a congregation. Would you fill us with the knowledge of your will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding? God, we want to please you in every way. We want to bear fruit in every good work. We want to grow in our knowledge of who you are. God, as we look out over our spheres of influence, whether it's our family, our workplace, our neighborhood, our city, God, we are looking for a city, for community, for a family whose builder and architect is you. You are building, you are rebuilding, you are restoring. We just ask in this today, just even now in the quiet, just show us the next right thing. Give us the God's eye view. We want to lay foundations as wise as expert builders. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So Lord, whatever the plan is, my family plan, my workplace plan, Lord, for us as a congregation, a plan for spiritual and social transformation of a whole city, and of the cities beyond, we commit that to you. We commit it to you. We give ourselves to you, God. Come and build your house. Come and build this city. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Can I just do, is that all right? Yeah, just a a quick thing. For those of you who weren't here last week, um, we've actually, I I would say this is like the most successful prayer initiative that we've ever been a part of. (laughs) What we did last week was we we encouraged everybody to take home a brick. So, uh, So here's a brick. 
and, we, and these are like proper bricks. These aren't fake bricks. And take home a brick, put it in the heart of your home, and pray for a home for us. So thank you. To every, who took home a brick? Thank you, everybody. We, we got a home now. Well done. <laughs> God did it. Well, he, he gave us a building, but actually it takes time for building to become a home, right? And a resting place. So the work's not done yet. We want you to keep praying over the next five weeks. If you've not taken a brick home yet, there's some at the front door too. Do take them home. We have a prayer guide that goes with. But here's, I'll show you what I did with my brick. I wrote on it. I'm like, Lord, this is what's that's in my heart for you to build. And then I wrote a scripture. I wrote, um, God puts the lonely in families, and he leads out the captives with singing. That's what is in my heart for this home, for this family called Emmaus. And so take a brick home and, and write on it prayers and prophecies, and we've got kids' activities for you to do. And then on June the 30th, and you'll get a reminder so you remember to bring it back, we're going to bring all of our bricks back and maybe just build an altar before the Lord or a castle or something. Anyway, we're going to build something together. <laughs> and then we're going to save the bricks. We're going to store them. Because Founders is going to need some work. And ultimately, we're, you know, we're going to keep expanding into the city. We're going to build something eventually. And then all these bricks with all your prayers and all the prophetic words can get built into it. So we, I was at a collective Thursday night. And the collective, they had a brick right on the table in the center. And they took just five minutes in the collective time, and they passed it around as a collective. And they just prayed for what kind of home they want Emmaus to be for the community. So take one home. Put it in the heart of your home where you will see it every day. Lots of people are putting it on their kitchen table. And, um, and then just we'll pray together for God to build a home. So, all right, build.